song sheet, we will sing um, verses 1, 2, and 3, which are the uh, versified uh, verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 9. But this, this week we can sing the stanzas 1 through 3, and then Lord willing, next week we'll sing 4 and 5. The tune is Hiding in Thee. And so if you've ever sung that song before, if you know that song, then that makes it much easier to sing this psalm. Psalm 9a to the tune of Hiding in Thee. And both of our pianists are not here. One is in the air, and one is uh, at home with sick children. <laughs> so one is in the air, and one is grounded. <laughs> sing about, like God's enemies being destroyed and things like that. But the fact is, that's recorded in Scripture. Mm. And part of the hope for the believer is that God will work out judgment and mm. justice in this world someday. Uh, all the wickedness and foolishness and nonsense that's going on, um, God doesn't let, He will not let people get away with it. 
there will be judgment. 287 in our hymnal, like a river glorious. There are only three stanzas to this, so let's sing all three. Like a river glorious. <clears throat>
says, I was uh, praying and had my eyes closed. We had two people sneak in. So good to see the both of you this evening. All right, if you'll all open up to the book of Psalms, Psalms 107. Psalms 107. You know, today is Flag Day. 237 years ago, the Second Continental Congress uh, passed a resolution recognizing the American flag. 13 alternating red and uh, white stripes. Question I have for you today is this. Well, I have a few questions. Are you a proud American? Are you grateful yes. for what this country has allowed you to become yes. and opportunities it provides? Yes. Because sadly, this month is also, the month of June is Pride Month, where the alphabet community proudly proclaims their wickedness. Mm. They boldly display their rainbow-colored flag, announcing to everyone their stand with or for perverseness. You know, it's fascinating how the progressives, the liberals, continue to hijack things that are good. God gave us a promise through the rainbow that he would never flood this earth again. And here we have these people just flaunting it. And you know, Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 24, it says that, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And he continues on in verse number 28. He says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God yet gave them over to a reprobate mind, mm -hmm. to those things which are not convenient. Sadly, you know, a lot of people think that they can, they're getting away just because they're not being punished. They think that um, God is not watching. But in reality, we all know what the Bible says is true. And what God says is true. And as Christians, what are you willing to stand for? What are you proud of? You know, pastors have been preaching the last two Sundays about what Christians should be proud of. In the prisons, the last couple of weeks, I've been going over Psalm 107. And the overall theme is God's goodness to man. The psalmist describes a few things. How God meets our needs, how He delivers us, how He saves us, and His enduring mercy. And tonight, I just want to focus on two verses. The first two. So if you open up, Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord... For he is good, for his mercy endured forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he had redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to study your word, Lord. But most importantly, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your enduring mercy, for the fact that you saved us, Lord. And that we have the opportunity to give you thanks. And that we also have an opportunity to be able to testify about you. Lord, I pray that through our... Um, study this evening that it would embolden Christians and help them understand, Lord, that we should not shy away from proudly proclaiming who we are, Lord, that we are Christians and we stand for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we stand for your word, the Bible. Lord, we uh, thank you for all that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. We just sang a song. I now will give wholehearted thanks, right? I now will give wholehearted thanks to the Lord. And all of your marvelous works will record. And you will be glad and exultingly cry. And praise to your name will I sing, O Most High. 
Verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? Why should we be giving thanks unto the Lord? You know, sadly, oftentimes what happens is that we as Christians forget or we take for granted the things that God gives us. The fact that we woke up in the, this morning should be reason for thanks. We should be starting our day with thanking God. You know, Pastor talked about uh, how, uh, uh, I think it was this past Sunday, he talked about how uh, the best evidence of God's creation is when you look in the mirror, when you look at yourself, right? Think about this. He talked about different systems that the body has. One thing that he didn't touch upon was the autonomic nervous system. What is the autonomic nervous system? Basically, the autonomic nervous system is things that the body is doing that you don't even have to think about. As an example, I woke up this morning, right? Now think about this. If I had to think about How much sleep would I get if I had to concentrate to focus on, on breathing? Or how much sleep would I get if I had to concentrate on, on keeping my heart beating? I don't have to worry about all those things. Those things are part of the autonomic nervous system that God has, uh, has, has uh, created us with. Amen. These are things that we just take for granted. Amen. But yet at the same time, people are not giving thanks unto God. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? The psalmist says, for he is good. Amen. You know, we have the refrain, right? God is good. All the time. All the time, God, God is good. good. Right? Do we take that seriously? Do we realize how good God is to us? The truth of the matter is that God withholds his judgment, much judgment upon us. Why? Because of the mercy. The psalmist goes on in verse one, number one. It says, for his mercy endures forever. Amen. His mercy endures forever. You know, that is a promise. And I think about this, right? What is it forever? Forever is forever. There is no timeline. You cannot put it, you can't put it on a clock. You can't count off, oh, one through whatever is forever. No, it cannot be measured. Amen. His mercy endures forever. From this creation, the beginning, in the beginning, God created. From that time, all the way through, until we get to Revelation 22 and beyond, his mercy endures forever. Amen. And if you think about this, right? His mercy endures forever. What does that mean? Well, think about this. The planet currently has, what, 7 billion people? And let's just say this. On a good day, everybody sins, I don't know, 3 times a day. 7 times 3, 21 billion times. 21 billion times, right? In one single day. But God's mercy endures forever. Amen. And Lamentations tells us it's new every single morning, right? So the clock resets. Every day that we get up, it resets. We cannot run out of God's mercy. And then it goes on, verse number two. Let the redeemed say so. He has redeemed us out of the hand of the enemy. You know, Pastor talked about Christians being proud. Are we proud to be saved? Are we proud to have been redeemed? Hey, if that be the case, shouldn't we be telling others? That's what the psalmist says. Let the redeemed say so. What does it mean to be redeemed? What does it mean to be redeemed? You know, we don't seem to understand the depth of this redemption, right? You know, um, the Webster Dictionary gives this definition. 
delivered from bondage, distress, penalty, liability, or from the possession of another by paying an equivalent. God redeemed us. Those of us that have accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior have been redeemed. The psalmist says, let the redeemed say so. We should be telling others about what God has done in our lives. You know, the, the men in the prison, they're finally getting to, to understand this. One of the guys says, yeah, you know, chap. In fact, they, they brought this up. This is not in my notes or anything like that. But I'd like for us to turn to uh, so, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because one of the men brought this up. And he said, you know, chap, said, <clears throat> God is good. He's merciful. He's the God of all comfort. And he talked about what he what he God had brought him through. And I said, You're right. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting is that what you went through is not unique to you. But you recognize who the source that who it was that got you through this. You give God the credit, you give him the glory, you give him all, him the praise. I said, now think about this. I said, look at what uh, Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounded by Christ. You know, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. God allows us to go through situations. He allows us to go through things. And one of the things that we have to recognize is this. When we get through that storm, when we get to the other side, that, that sunshine and clear skies and everything else, Carlton keeps saying, hey, what a beautiful day it is. When we get to that beautiful day, sunshine, bright sunshine, beautiful weather, guess what? We can give God praise. Give him the glory. And the, the, the guy that was sharing with us that, that morning, he says, you know what, chap? That's exactly right. God allowed me to go through what I went through so that I am now in a unique position to tell somebody else that's going through exactly the same thing. Rather than me telling them, telling that person, hey, you know what? I understand. No. The reason why I can empathize with you, he didn't use the word empathize, the reason why I understand is because I've been there. And the only way that I got out of that was that God got me through that. It was God that continued to hold my hand, God that continued to carry me, God that continued to encourage me. Let the redeemed say so. We as Christians need to be able to Need, not need to be able to. We need to tell other people about why. Why we have hope. You know, I, I played, um, I think it was last week, the, that um, ESP interview of the three Oklahoma softball players. These women were playing for the College World Series. They were playing for the um, national championship. They were on, um, the ESPN reporter asked, asked the girls, he said, 
How do you put up with the pressure? They were on like a 51-game win streak. They have not lost since February of this year, right? 51 straight games, undefeated. They ended up the season, I think, with one loss, all right? So the gal said, it's not so much winning and losing. She says, those things come with life. But she says, we have hope. And it's not a feeling. The hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. The hope that we have is in the Lord. And then after she was done, the second girl just adds on to what she was saying. And then the third girl adds on to all of them. And essentially what they said was this, win or lose, what we have is this is not our home. We have a home with our Heavenly Father. And it was fascinating. I'm listening to this and I'm going, it was mind-blowing. Because this is what I was teaching over at the prison. And here are these three women. All of them, they are uh, first-team All-Americans. They are proclaiming and giving Jesus Christ the honor and the glory that he deserved Amen. on national TV. They were not backing down. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the ESPN reported. I, I wish I could see his face as these women were talking, but the camera was focused on the on these three women and their coach. But I, I, I watched that. In fact, what happened was that the other day, over in the um, at Halaba, chapel was canceled. So we, the, you know, the bad thing is that chapel is canceled, so the guys can't come out. But the good thing is that because chapel is canceled, I can still call my work line, and we can have devotions. And our devotions are normally short, five ten minutes. But because it was canceled, we did a devotion that was. 45 minutes and we covered these two verses here and after I covered verse number two I played that video of the Oklahoma um, softball team a couple of guys had tears in their eyes and they're looking at the end they're looking at each other and going these women are tough these women are brave and I'm not going to say what they what else they said but at the same time what they intended was the fact that they had more guts than guys because of the stand that they were taking. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, so God delivered us from bondage, right? Amen. He delivered us from possession of another. That possessor was Satan. What I want us to do is turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. And it is the first mention of the word redeemed. But I want us to take a look at the context in which God is speaking here. It's Exodus chapter 6. And it's, I'm going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, I, and I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth, uh, bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
You know, in just these three verses, he makes five promises. I will bring you out from under the burdens. Mm -hmm. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. I will take you to me for people, and I will be to you a God. But notice what he says there. He says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. Redeem us from what? In that verse, he says that I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You know burdens. Burdens, we think about, what do you, when you hear the word burden, what do you think of? A heavy load, right? Is burden. When you're under a heavy load, it can be a burden. But also at the same time, it can be emotional, right? Stress, anxiety, worry. All of these things could be burdened. He says that I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Remember, they were in slavery to the Egyptians there. They were under the heavy thumb of the Egyptians. They had to do whatever the Egyptians told them to do. And then he says also, I will rid you out of their bondage. You know, bondage is to be a slave to some force or influence. And if you think about this, when God redeemed us, He freed us from that bondage, that influence that the world had upon us, that Satan had upon us. You know, 1 Peter tells us that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, Satan is out there. The, the verse starts off with, be sober, be vigilant. So he says, Peter tells us that we need to be clear-minded and we need to be on guard. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, it's kind of like that, you know, you watch the National Geographic, the African savannah, and you see these lionesses, right? They're all lying down in the grass. They're watching these um, animals going by. And what are they doing? What are they looking for? They're looking for the old. They're looking for the weak. They're looking for the young. They're looking for the vulnerable. They're not going to pick the strongest and most athletic out of the animals. It's a waste of their time. That's the reason why Peter says, be sober, be um, vigilant. We need to be clear-minded. We need to be um, on guard all the time. Because if we're not, guess what? We fall prey. So he says, He's going to remove, he, move, he moves it from the bondage. And God says there also, he says in verse number 6, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. A stretched out arm. <coughs> what is he talking about there? A stretched out arm. You know, let's turn to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 26. So you look at another reference here. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Verses 6 and 7, he's talking about the, uh, this is a uh, basically the confession at the temple before the priests. In verse number 6, he says, And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us our bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked at our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And with an outstretched arm, and with great terribleness, and with signs, and with wonders. You know what fascinates me is that as I read through these um, Old Testament scriptures, you've heard, I've heard, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard where people say, Well, the God of the Old Testament, He's so vengeful, He's so wrathful. He's an angry God. And then you read a passage of scripture like this, it's like, Really? 
I see God's mercy. Yes. I see God's love mm -hmm. in these verses. And what is this? This is only the fifth book of the Bible. But anyway, he's talking about here in verse number seven. Uh, I'm sorry. In verse number, yes. I'm sorry. In verse number eight. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. All right. You know, what's fascinating is that the book of Isaiah, Isaiah tells us about the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord being Jesus Christ. Let's turn to that. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Isaiah 53. You know, this entire chapter is talking about Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53. We only got 12 verses there. I'll, I'll, I'll go through all 12 of them. Starting off in verse number one, who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the inequity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought, uh, he brought, he is, I'm sorry, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their inequities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bared the sin of many, and he needed any intercession for the transgressors. Verse number 11. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant, as Jesus Christ, justify many, that's all of us, for he, Jesus, bore our inequities. You know, Jesus reconciled us to God. He brought us into friendship from the state of disagreement or enmity that all of us had with God. And 
What we have to understand is the fact that he redeemed us. What he did for us. Reading Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53, you read through the psalm and it's like, I can't believe it. And look at verses like, verse number three. He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Mm -hmm. And then, it goes on. Verse 4, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken. In other words, we're plotting, planning, to have him smitten of God and afflicted. The most innocent person that ever walked this mm -hmm. earth. Yes. He paid the price for all of us. Mm -hmm. A price that none of us could ever afford. But the love of God, the truth of the matter is that God loved us. His creation, He knew that none of us could do it on our own. He had to provide, uh, provide an answer. He had to provide a way. And that way was Jesus Christ. Turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's take a look at the, recon uh, the reconciliation and the atonement. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read verses 18 to 21. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and had given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, ye be reconciled to God. For he had made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God provided a way. He reconciled us to, to us through Jesus Christ. And look at what Paul says there in verse number 20. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. What are ambassadors? It's an official messenger, right? He says we're ambassadors for Christ. So we are ambassadors. We are official messengers of Jesus Christ. So when the psalmist says, let the redeemed say so, if we've been redeemed, we should be ambassadors for Christ. We should be out there letting people know about what Jesus has done in your life. Because Paul says that we're ambassadors. We are out there. We're messengers. We should be telling everyone about what God has done in our life. Each and every one of us has a unique testimony. It's a new testimony that's unique to yourself. Your testimony is not the same as my testimony. None of you guys got saved in prison. But at the same time, I can testify to the men that are in prison that I know the best thing for them is to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And more importantly, I mean not more importantly, is that after they've accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that what they need to do is they need to be in God's Word. God's Word on a daily basis. Let me share with you something real quick. 
off script again. But over at um, Wayava, my work line left, was leaving, and um, I had, I was given a heads up, so I had like about a week to hire a new work line. All the three Christians that I approached, all three of them turned me down. So I turned to my, my current work line and asked them, I said, hey, you got any other suggestions, man? I said, no, I don't. It's like, all right, I'm gonna leave it in the Lord's hands. And then um, one day, the education work line, we're in the same building, education and the chapel are in the same building. The education work line comes up to me and says, hey chap, this guy wanted me to turn this, uh, turn this request into you. He wants to be on the work line. So I looked at the name, didn't recognize the name at all. My work line came in and said, hey, you know this guy? He said, oh yeah, young kid, hard worker, and um, very diligent in his work. I said, but the name doesn't ring a bell. Has he been to chapel? I said, no. I'm going, okay. Never been to chapel. All I know is that my work line, who I trust, has given him a good report. I go and I talk to his, um, this individual's case manager. She also gives him a good report. I'm thinking to myself, all right, Lord, if I bring this young man onto the chapel work line and I lead him to Christ, he's a young Christian. And I shared with you guys that um, there's two chaplains over at Wyava and we both have conflicting doctrines. He's of the oneness doctrine. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They don't believe in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Need to get baptized in order to be saved. And a sign of bapt uh, and then once you're baptized, then a sign of your salvation is speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and I've had discussions with him and we've agreed to disagree and I've left it at that. And I'm thinking to myself, if I lead this man to Christ, he's with the other chaplain two days a week. He's with me two days a week. He's with the other chaplain two days a week. And I'm worried for him. And it's like, kind of like throwing this guy to the wolves. So the first day he comes into the office, his name is Justin. So I said, Justin, I remember you telling me in the interview, that one of the reasons why you wanted to work in, uh, in the chapel work line was that you wanted to get back to God. I said, yeah. I said, so let me ask you this. You talk about getting back to God, but the, the real question is, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? He looked at me, kind of with like a deer in the headlights look. Nobody's ever asked him that question. And said, to be honest, chap, no. I said, would you like to know how to become a Christian? And he said, yeah. So with that said, led him to the Lord. Okay, This was two months ago. Today, so what happened is that two months ago, and probably two weeks after he got saved, what he's been doing is he's been um, 
doing devotions on a daily basis. He does this thing called SOAP. Scripture, observation, um, application, and prayer. For the last six weeks, he has not missed a day. Today, I said, so Justin, let's do devotions. I want to hear what you, um, what you, uh, what, what you have to this today. And so he gives me this devotion. It's on Second uh, Corinthians. I forget what chapter. Second Corinthians, and I'm listening to him do his observation regarding this passage of scripture, and then his application, and then his prayer. I said, Justin, it's hard for me to believe that you just got saved two months ago. He looked at me, why? He said, because the thoughtfulness that went into that observation is beyond your maturity. I said, I'm impressed. I said, you truly are reading. You truly are studying. And he said, you want chat? He says, I look forward to this every single morning. I wake up. And it's like, what am I going to read today? So I said, you know, normally I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't advise someone to just pray and then open up your Bible and just start reading. But every single time he shared a devotion with me, it is spot on regarding his understanding and his application regarding that passage of scripture. So I said, you know, at this point, you just keep asking God how he wants you to do your devotions. I said, if he wants, if he leads you to continue doing what you're doing, fine. But if he tells you that, no, what we need to do is we need to start doing a book from chapter one to the end, or maybe even from the beginning of the Bible to the end, whatever it is, allow God to lead you. And that's where he's at right now. But the point is this, this young man <coughs> is here. He's not ashamed. And basically what he's doing is he's not shying away from God's word. He has continued to just feed himself. He's, he's hungry. He's doing what God wants him to do. And so, in, in, in Ephesians, Paul says this, in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, I'll read it. It says, As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bounds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know what's sad is that many Christians are afraid to speak out. They're afraid of persecution, right? Paul says, hey, regardless, I'm in bond. But yet, I will continue to preach the gospel. <clears throat> and Jesus was not ashamed to call us brethren. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, he says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom all are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus who sanctifies, we who are sanctified, he's not afraid to call us brethren. 
saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. So why should we not, why should we shy away from what the Bible proclaims? Peter says, 1 Peter 4.14, now let me read this. He says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. He warns, but he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody of the men's matters. And in uh, verse 16, he says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Mm. You know, we live in a world, this cancel culture movement, right? This that just permeates society. We're afraid to stand up. We're afraid to say something. Why? Because people may think negatively of us, bigoted, whatever it may be. All of these different things. But yet at the same time, Peter says here, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Another thing that we should not be ashamed of is to stand with other Christians. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's take a look at what Paul says here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, oftentimes what happens is that we in today, especially in today's culture, are afraid to proclaim that we are Christians, much less stand up with other Christians. Stand up and be counted. You know, what's fascinating is that I watched this video. And it's a video in a mall. And so what happens is that in this mall, it's an indoor mall. And this guy gets up. He's on the stage and he starts dancing. And everybody's walking by and just looking at him like, like he's crazy. Right? And then the second person gets up. And they start dancing with this guy. And then a third person, and a fourth person, a fifth person. Next thing you know, the entire crowd is standing up and dancing. The point is this. It's not the first person that stands up. It's the second person that validates what that first person is doing. So as a Christian, if a person, if a Christian is standing up, as a Christian, standing up for God, standing up for Jesus Christ, should we not also stand with that person? Should we not stand in unity with that individual? Second Timothy Chapter 1, verse number 14. Paul says, That good thing which was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which were, are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Verse 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Here was a man that was not afraid to stand with Paul who was in prison. And look at what Paul says. Verse 17. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Verse 18. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus. Thou knowest very well. Folks. There are Christians that are out there standing, right? The question is, are we encouraging them? You know, people, missionaries that are in foreign countries, missionaries that are in countries where Christianity is looked down upon, where Christianity is being persecuted. Some of you know, some of you are on, on some of these prayer chains. Do we let them know that we're praying about praying? 
about that situation, about what is going on. That, that we can be an encouragement unto them. That's what we need to do. These people are going where you and I are not, or you and I can't, or you and I won't, whatever the reasons. But they're there. They're out there proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They're out there doing what we cannot do. We can encourage those people. Just like this person here in 2 Timothy. Encouraging Paul. Standing with him. You know, if you saw the, um, the uh, announcement this week. There was a little picture down in the right hand corner. And above that picture it says this. If you know the Lord, be proud that you're saved. Come out of the closet. And then there was a picture of a lion. And in that picture, there was Romans 10, 11. For the scripture said, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Mm -hmm. Psalm 107, verse number 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he had redeemed from the hand of the enemy. People, Jesus redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. The psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. You know, we cannot allow the wickedness, the perverseness that goes on, that's so-called celebrated from the White House on down. That's right. We need to stand up. We need to be willing to defend what we believe in. Because here's the thing, you know, these I don't know if these people are sincere about their beliefs, like the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons are. They may have been sincere, but sadly they're sincerely wrong. That's right. We, have, we as Christians have the truth. We have God behind us. We have Jesus who died for us. Why are we not proclaiming? The good news of Jesus Christ. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. And Lord, we are grateful. Grateful for the fact that we have been redeemed. And I pray, Father, that as the psalmist says, that we, the redeemed, would be proudly proclaimed and testify to those that we come into contact with. That we would stand firm for our Lord and Savior. And Father, we would stand firm with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that we would encourage them and that we would have their back, Lord. And most importantly, Father, I pray that each and every one of us will take advantage of every opportunity that you present to us. Whatever doors of opportunity that you open, that we would bow boldly walk through them, Lord, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for each and every one of us. And as always, Lord, we give our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.